You've got shit. I've got shit. We've all got shit. So let's therapize that shit with your host, me, Joy Gerhard. Please note, I am not a therapist. I cannot and do not diagnose anyone or prescribe anything. This is just me, someone who struggles with mental illness, emotions, and intrusive thoughts, sharing what skills I've used and how I've used them. Also, trigger warning, in this podcast, I talk about sensitive topics including mental illness, suicidal ideation, self-harm, rape, childhood sexual assault, trauma, and more. I also swear here and there, so listener discretion is advised. Welcome, welcome. The acoustics might be a little off right now because I am not in my normally very sound-dampened bedroom. I am in the basement because today is Super Bowl Sunday. I don't know if I can get sued for saying the Super Bowl, but I just doubled down and said it again, so... (laughs) We'll find out. Anyway, it's noisy upstairs where my folks are watching the game. So I am down in the basement and still have kind of post cold voice going on. So I am not sounding as crisp as I might normally sound. This is part three of my three part series about my trauma anniversaries. I highly, 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 highly recommend. You listen to parts one and two before listening to this part because this is all kind of a continuation of the same couple days when I did a lot of recording while I was in distress, while I was having really strong urges. And it all makes sense if you hear part one, which is about Cope Ahead, and part two, which is about, oh yeah, pros and cons. So this is part three. And I'm going to be doing uh, some radical acceptance today. I know, my favorite, and I sound so excited about it. I did want to do a quick recap of the previous episodes. So, here it comes. Previously on Let's Therapize That Shit. On episodes 14 and 15, you heard me talk about my trauma anniversaries. I have four rape anniversaries between January 21st and February 3rd. So January is a rough month for me. I'd like to clarify, and I've clarified in the previous episodes, I do not choose this. I'm not putting it in my calendar to remind myself, hey, be miserable. Something happens in my body around New Year's, and I end up having a lot of just really intense body sensations and really high self-harm urges during the month of January. And 100% of the Januaries, including this one now, god damn it, uh, 100% of the anniversaries that I've had since my PTSD symptoms started in 2015, I have either had a self-harm relapse in January or immediately following it, or I've gotten really, really, really sick. This year, I mean, I did get sick. Not really, really sick. I lost my voice for a few days. And I'm still working on getting it back. But it's sounding much better today. Yeah, there's something that lives in my body. Clearly, trauma lives in our bodies. And so January can be a tough month. So in episode 14, I talked about using Cope Ahead, which is a DBT skill where I basically am envisioning 
what do I expect to encounter emotion-wise? Like, what emotions do I expect to have? What triggers do I expect to have? What urges do I expect to have? And then planning ahead, you know, what skills to use in those circumstances. So cope ahead is a great skill to kind of strike that balance, actually envision the thing I'm afraid that will happen, and then plan out what skill I want to use. And then do like imaginal rehearsal for it. Like actually picture the thing happening, picture the things I would say, picture the skills I would use, picture the behaviors I would try out, like all of that stuff. It's really, it's really effective to kind of have that in my back pocket or my suitcase or backpack or whatever, (laughs) wherever I'm packing my cope ahead. So that was episode 14. Episode 15 is about pros and cons. And I posted uh, the grid of what that looks like on the website and also on social media. And it's basically for a crisis urge, in my case, self-harm. What are the pros and cons of acting on the urge? And then what are the pros and cons of resisting the urge? So it's a two-by-two grid. And the pros of acting on the urge and the cons of resisting the urge. So going ahead and self-harming. That's where validation lives, at least for me. Like, those are the squares where I write out, oh, these are the reasons why I self-harm. These are the reasons why it's hard to resist self-harm. These are the reasons why it is so attractive to me and why my urges are so strong. And when I can understand why I do it, that's where I can get creative and try to meet that need or those needs in a different way. And then the pros of resisting the urge and the cons of acting on the urge are kind of like, oh, there's got to be a better phrase than my guiding star. But they're kind of like the my beacon of like, remember, these are the reasons why you actually, like in the long term, don't want to do this. These are the consequences that you'll face. Self-harming is training my brain that I don't have other skills. I use this skill self-harming in place of other skills. And it works great in the short term and it it does fuck all for me in the long term. So that was episode 15. Now we are on to episode 16. I mentioned in the last episode that I had a text exchange with my therapist. And you know what? I'm just going to read you what I said. I asked them if they had any resources or even a short explanation as to why trauma anniversaries are a thing. Like, how is it possible that even when I'm not thinking about it, my body is on high alert? I just don't understand why, without having any specific event or any interpretations, I end up with this low-grade rage just simmering for all of January. And clearly I'm judging it as being invalid because I don't understand it. So that's what I texted to my therapist. And they wrote back and recommended some non-judgmental stance, self-validation, and radical acceptance. So radical acceptance is one of those skills that it's super, super, super helpful, and I hate it. (laughs) I mean, is it like brushing your teeth? Like it's a really good thing to do, a very necessary part of health But radical acceptance kind of feels like that. It's like, yes, I know this is the thing and I really don't like it. And I think part of the reason I don't like it is because I still have a thought. It is not an accurate thought. It is true that I have the thought, but the thought doesn't point to the truth. I have the thought that radical acceptance is somehow invalidating. 
And I can argue with myself all day that that's not the case. And I do. I spend a lot of time arguing with myself. Because clearly, there's a part of me that's like, no, 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 no. I must be validated. I have to be validated. I will not survive if I am invalidated. And I think that's the part that resists the radical acceptance skill. At any rate, we're going to talk about it now. Before I get into that, I want to play a couple recordings for you. One is a recording of me explaining how my self-harm urges feel in my body, like what it's like to have them in a little bit more detail. And that was recorded on January 6th. So I recorded that. And then I have a couple recordings of me reading Facebook posts that I wrote and kept private uh, about my experience of my anniversaries and what they feel like from 2018 and I think 2019. So I thought I'd start with those and then from there get into my plan for today. So here we go. I am recording this on January 6, 2022. Urges are really, 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 really high today. I've had to pay more attention because I'm describing stuff on a podcast. I've had to use observe skills a lot more and pay a lot more attention to what's going on so that I can actually articulate it effectively. And a lot of times, urges kind of feel like, um, I'll put it this way, I have a fear of heights. And over the course of my adulthood, I've chosen to jump from great heights into bodies of water uh, a few times. And the cycle of anxiety feels very similar. The way it feels in my body feels very similar. Like I once hiked down to um, Crater Lake from the rim down to the lake itself. And there's a cliff that's about, oh, I don't know, 25, 30 feet that you can jump into the lake from. And when I was hiking down, I didn't know that that place existed. I was wearing my swimsuit under my clothes and was planning on just kind of like wading in. And then I saw the cliff and I thought, well, that would make a better picture (laughs) Um, and a better memory. And so initially I had all these nerves in making the decision to jump. And I spent a half an hour staring at that cliff and like running up to the edge and then not being able to do it. And the longer I waited, the worse the nerves got. And the butterflies in my stomach turned into bats in my stomach, which then turned into condors in my stomach. And then it was just me down there. I was kind of late in the season, so there weren't hardly any people in the national park. And at one point, these two guys hiked down and they were going to jump off. So I offered to take the pictures for them or take video for them. And they offered to do the same for me. And then it became necessary for me to actually jump. And I didn't want to waste their time or look foolish or embarrass myself. So I had to psych myself up into actually jumping. And there's all this resistance. There was resistance initially when I first saw the cliff. And I was like, oh, fuck, I'm going to jump off of that. God damn it. And then there was all this resistance, like when I took off my clothes and was just in my swimsuit and running up to the edge and chickening out over and over again. And the resistance kept getting stronger and stronger and stronger. And it felt a lot like when you try to you know, make two magnets touch each other, 
like two North poles of a magnet touch each other, you feel them pushing away. And it felt like that, like my entire body was trying to keep me from jumping off the cliff. And then finally, when the guys were there and I didn't want to waste their time, I just had to run and keep going. And there was this huge amount of relief mixed with terror as I went over the edge of the cliff. And I remember screaming, I'm going to (laughs) die on my way down. And there was also this relief in it because the decision was already made. It was done. And I didn't have to spend all of this time with all of this tension. And so there was also this euphoria or this intense relief afterwards. And the water was fucking freezing, something like 35 degrees Fahrenheit. That's what it feels like having the urge to self-harm, like just intense, jittery energy. And it just, it kind of comes in waves. There are things that will crank it up and it'll be really high for several hours and then it'll die down and then later it'll crank up again. And it's so intense. It's hard to find the exact words to describe how intense it is. It's like all I can think about. And I know that I'm sounding super, super calm right now, but that's also one of the weird side effects. The more intense the urges get, the calmer I get. And I think that's because I've trained myself over multiple years of self-harming. Before I had to stop, I trained myself that the stronger the urges get, the more certain it would be that I would do it. And so the stronger the urges get, the calmer I felt because because it was going to be a, a relief soon. And it, if it sounds like it can't possibly be both of those things. Like it doesn't make sense that I could have all of this anxious, nervous energy and also feel super calm at the same time. Just a, a sense of inevitability, I guess. I'm having the thought that it's inevitable. These trauma anniversaries, man. And it's frustrating. It's hard to talk to people about it because I think they assume, at least the few people that I've talked to, assume that I'm choosing to be aware of the anniversaries, that I'm choosing, like I've marked it on my calendar or I have those, you know, those paper rings that you used to like count down for Christmas. It's not like that. In the same way that like a tree doesn't look at its watch and go, okay, it's fall. I guess we're going to lose our leaves now. It's built into the biology of at least deciduous trees. Is deciduous the right word? Oh, yes. Deciduous. Go joy. At least for deciduous trees, it's built into their biology. And the lengthening of the night, the cooling of temperatures, I don't know exactly what triggers it, and it may be different for different types of deciduous trees. But at any rate, it happens because of some some messages that live in the cells of a tree. Like it's inside their bodies, their organisms. And that's what trauma anniversaries feel like to me. I'm not looking forward to them. I'm not counting down the days to them. It's like New Year's comes and my body knows. <laughs> New Year's is when it starts. And people start talking about the Super Bowl and my body knows. The holidays end and my body knows. And I feel it in my body right now, that nervous, fluttery energy of looking over a cliff. And it doesn't feel like an emotion. It's not like I feel sad 
or angry or afraid even. It feels like, like hunger feels. Hunger is not an emotion. It's a biological signal that is separate from any emotion or any thought. It's my body telling me I need food. And I don't know what my body is trying to tell me around these anniversaries. And maybe it's not, maybe it's not a message. Maybe it's a, a survival tactic. Maybe it's just something that happens after New Year's, that after enough years of this happening, my body's like, yeah, this is just what we're going to do now. And I feel it in like everywhere. It's not localized in a specific part of my body. It's this, this diffuse, shaky, nervous energy. I feel like my blood is pumping harder than it normally would. I feel like the air is thinner, that I'm not quite as steady on my feet. I don't look forward to this and I don't choose this. And radical acceptance is supposed to be around things that we can't change. Because if we can change them, we should change them. Or like that's the more effective thing to do is to change a situation. And if we can't change it, then the most effective thing to do is to accept. And I don't know if this is something I can change. I know that it has been a persistent pattern for eight years. And I've been ineffective at coping ahead for it. I've been ineffective at abstinence, like abstaining from self-harm. I've been ineffective at being skillful. I messaged my therapist the other day and asked them what would be what would be the effective way to handle this. They wrote back and said, sounds like some non-judgmental stance, self-validation, and radical acceptance could be helpful here. So Oh, that's a lot. I know that I sound really calm when I talk about my urges, and it causes some cognitive dissonance for me because listening back to it, I'm like, I know that I was vibrating. I know that I was I was jonesing for self-harm. Like I really, really wanted to do it. And I can't tell by listening to my voice. So I have the thought, I'm having the thought right now that I made the whole thing up. I'm having the thought that it's not real, that my urges aren't real. I, of course, have the thought that my PTSD isn't real. Oh, that's an oldie, but a goodie. It's on syndication, that thought, that I've made all of my symptoms up and it's all fake. I'm going to take a second and actually ask that thought what it's trying to do for me. Okay, so thought that I made all of this up, that my PTSD symptoms are fake, and that I am lying about it. What are you trying to do for me? So the very first thought I have is, uh, it's trying to protect me. So my next question is, from what? Hurting. It's trying to protect me from hurting. And I get... I get that. And denying it is not effective. (laughs) I used in the last episode uh, an analogy about splinters and how if you've ever had a really deep, big splinter in your foot, it hurts a lot when you get it. And then it hurts to walk on it. And addressing it and actually like pulling it out is going to hurt way more than just letting it sit there. In the short term, 
And in the long term, it's way better for my body to actually have the thing removed. So I get that denying that I have PTSD gives my brain the illusion of not being in pain, but denying it actually causes more pain long term. And it certainly causes more suffering because denying it is what prevents me from getting help. It prevents me from using skills. It's what my brain does to convince me, you're fine, you're fine, you're fine, just keep your head down, just keep moving forward. Like, don't pay attention to any of the shit that's coming up. And I'm like, okay, brain, I get that you don't want to be in pain. I don't want to be in pain either. And I'm going to choose pain in the short term so that I can have less pain in the long term. (sighs) I'm not wild about that, but okay. Okay, so now I'm going to play for you a couple Facebook posts that I wrote, and then we'll come back and do some skill stuff. Take it away, 2018 Joy. I keep running across these pretty awesome Facebook posts that it looks like I never made public. I almost used my Facebook wall as a journal. So here's one I wrote on December 24th, 2018. Approaching January feels a lot like staring down the barrel of a gun. Two years ago, I had one anniversary. Last year, I had four. I feel very much like I'm tap dancing on landmines. I know some shit is going to go down. I just don't know when. What I can tell you is that the trigger won't be something trivial. Last year, it was the dozen conversations I had with police officers, prosecutors, judges, and victims' advocates. This year, from what I can tell so far, it's deeply inappropriate touches at Christmas parties. To my guy friends, I'm going to keep you at arm's length this month, and that's just going to be the way it is. If that offends you or bothers you, I can give you the phone numbers of my other guy, quote, friends, who sexually assaulted me, so you can take it up with them. I'm not taking risks this month. To everyone, including my guy friends, I thought it might be useful to describe what is the most useful thing to me during the shit show of the month. A lot of you will desperately want to help and will have no idea how. That's normal. Most people don't know how to help. Most people don't know how to sit in this space and just listen without trying to fix it. Don't blame yourself. None of us were taught this in school. I myself just learned it in the last couple years. If you can't sit with me in this space, that's totally fine. You can just say no. So number one, what to do. Ask me how I'm doing and listen. What not to do. Ask me how I'm doing and then tell me how I really shouldn't be having all those thoughts or feelings because just look at X, Y, or Z. All behavior is caused. If I'm having thoughts or feelings, they're coming from somewhere and I just need to get them out. Don't try to fix it. If you can't not fix it, see item four. Number two, what to do. Be chill with me when I'm crying. What not to do. Try to cheer me up when I'm crying. I don't want a different perspective. I don't want jokes. I don't want to be distracted. I've got poison in my body and I'm trying to get it out through my tear ducts. Any attempt you make to stop me crying is going to keep the poison in me longer. It might make you feel better, but it does fuck all for me. If you can't handle the crying, see item four. Item three, what to do. Give me space when I ask for it. Believe me when I say I've got it and just want to be alone. What not to do. Insist on sitting with me or following me around or treating me like I'm on suicide watch. I've been on suicide watch. I know what it looks like, and this ain't it. I've lived through worse than a recurrence of some deeply traumatic memories, and I've got a binder full of skills I can use. 
Trust me when I say I've got it. Item four, what to do. Show up when you have the emotional capacity to do so. What not to do. Say you have the capacity when you really don't because you really wish you did have the capacity. There's nothing wrong with not having the skills or energy to sit with someone who is revisiting rock bottom. That's totally fine. Be honest with yourself and be honest with me. It may be hard in the moment, but it's so much worse long-term if you don't do that honest introspection. Goddamn joy. Well done. Alrighty, we're back in the present, and we're just doing a quick hop, skip, and a jump back into now 2019 joy. Take it away. I ran across a post I made on February 17th, 2019 about my trauma groceries. I thought it was a remarkably well-worded explanation of what anniversaries feel like. So I'm just going to read it. Between January 21st and February 3rd, I have four anniversaries each year of rape and sexual assault. This last year was the first time that the span of time was empty. Two years ago, I accrued three out of the four while simultaneously doing exposure therapy. Last year, I was talking to police and prosecutors and judges about pressing charges for two of them. This year, there was nothing. There was no action for me to take. Nothing to channel my memories into. There wasn't anything to mark the anniversaries except my occasional glance at my laptop's clock. Even if the rest of the world or even my outward circumstances didn't acknowledge them, my body did. I felt heavy, sluggish, torn up. I was angry without obvious cause. I felt aimless, empty, and alone. And there wasn't anything to say about it. I wanted to reach out to friends, but I didn't have words for what was happening. I still don't. This is the first year that I've actually felt healed, and the healing is nearly as scary as the PTSD was. The healing feels like numbness in comparison, though it's not. I, of course, can still feel, but it's not the same abject terror or razor wire anxiety that I was used to, hence the numbness. But more than the emotions, there's the essence of invisibility. When I was in the middle of therapy, self-harming and engaged in every self-destructive behavior I could stomach, it felt strangely like I was honoring what happened to me. Now, without the self-destruction or the therapy or the panic attacks or the bursts of anxiety or the fits of rage, it feels like none of it ever happened. I'm left instead with scars crisscrossing my body and little else. My fellow survivors will say that there is a lot more to it than just my scars, but I'm grieving over how invisible it feels. More specifically, I'm struggling with the knowledge that from here on out, I will have to articulate with words what that time in my life was like. And my fellow survivors know that there are no words for it. I think about getting back into the dating world and dread the questions I'll be asked about past relationships, about my scars. The scars are easier when I can shrug them off with, I don't want to talk about it, leaving a potential partner to make up their own explanation. I doubt that anyone will guess that I did it to myself, with scissors and knives and blades. I doubt that anyone will imagine that I sliced my body open because the bloodletting felt like an exorcism. So I'll have to say it at some point. I don't dread saying it out of shame. 
I'm not ashamed of my scars. To me, they look exactly right. They make my body look like it's been through what it has. Rather than shame, though, I'm concerned that there is no way that I can communicate what drove me to it. I have not been able to tell the stories with any accuracy outside of my therapy appointments. I still have the audio of those sessions, so I guess there's always that. I can always just give a potential partner my tapes and tell them to listen. It's actually, it's really validating uh, to hear those posts because even as I listen to them back, I'm just like, that's exactly what it feels like. I'm like, Joy, of course you would be able to describe exactly your personal experience, like your internal experience. It's your experience. And it's just nice and validating. And I'd forgotten that those existed. So finding them again uh, on my Facebook wall was kind of cool. I was like, oh, yeah, I remember going through all of that. And a lovely thing to remember is I had forgotten about them, which means that what I was experiencing in those moments eventually stopped. It's cyclical. I have the trauma anniversaries again, and it's not constant. And that's a nice reminder that, yes, it was painful in those two posts, and that pain has not been constant ever since then. So now we're going to talk about some skills to deal with the self-harm urge because I've been having high urges today as well. I want to mention the text exchange that I had with my therapist. So I mentioned, I just don't understand why, without having any specific event or any interpretations, I end up with this low-grade rage just simmering for all of January. And clearly, I'm judging it as being invalid because I don't understand it. So that's what I texted my therapist. And they wrote back and recommended a non-judgmental stance, self-validation, and radical acceptance as skills that would be helpful. And so reading those Facebook posts were validating and useful. So now we're going to talk about radical acceptance, which to me, radical acceptance and non-judgment are two sides of the same coin. Acceptance is inherently non-judgmental. <laughs> so non-judgment is a key component of radical acceptance. So just to give you a little bit of context, I'm going to now be talking about the DBT manual. For those of you who are new to the podcast, who for some reason chose not to listen to episodes 14 and 15 leading into this episode, uh, DBT stands for Dialectic Behavioral Therapy, and it is my modality, my therapy type of choice. And the DBT manual is available. There's a link in the description. It's on the website. You can see both the PDF, like a digital version, and a link to where you can buy it. And a reminder, when I'm reading directly from somebody else's work, I turn on some reverb so that I sound like I'm in the Roman Colosseum or a public bathroom. It's more like a public bathroom. So on general handout 1A, there are options for solving any problem. When life presents you with problems, what are your options? Option one, solve the problem. Change the situation or avoid, leave, or get out of the situation for good. On some level, self-harm or really any sort of target behavior, behavior that's self-destructive, is solving a problem. Like my self-harm does solve a problem. 
And it's a very short-term solution. It is not at all helpful long-term. I've talked about that in depth um, in the last two episodes. Option two, feel better about the problem. Change or regulate your emotional response to the problem. Option three, tolerate the problem. Accept and tolerate both the problem and your response to the problem. So acceptance is acknowledging the event and my feelings about it. It doesn't fight the reality. It acknowledges the facts and only the facts. And new possibilities arise when I accept reality, which we'll get more into in a second here. Option four is stay miserable or possibly make it worse. (laughs) So option four is not great. We're going to focus today on tolerating the problem. I don't know what causes, like what the mechanism is that causes my body to go on high alert in January. I certainly know that judging the hell out of it is not effective. So I want to practice actually just being like, I don't like just. Just implies it's simple. I'm going to practice accepting that this is what happens in January. Certainly it is what has happened in the past. And recently, it's what just happened. So let's talk about radical acceptance. I've talked about radical acceptance before. It would have been on episode what? Let's find out. Oh, episode three and episode seven. So we've done a lot of acceptance. We're going to keep going. So I'm going to start on distress tolerance handout 10, which is an overview of reality acceptance skills. These are skills for how to live a life that is not the life you want. So there's a bunch of skills that help accept reality. Radical acceptance, turning the mind, willingness, half-smiling and willing hands. I've talked about using willing hands quite a bit. And allowing the mind, mindfulness of current thoughts. So I've talked about this before in previous episodes, I'm going to talk about it again because clearly <laughs> I struggle with acceptance. I'm reading now from Distress Tolerance Handout 11 titled Radical Acceptance, which is what you use when you cannot keep painful events and emotions for coming your way. What is radical acceptance? Radical means all the way, complete and total. It is accepting in your mind, your heart, and your body. It's when you stop fighting reality, stop throwing tantrums because reality is not the way you want it, and let go of bitterness. What has to be accepted? Reality is as it is. The facts about the past and the present are the facts, even if you don't like them. There are limitations on the future for everyone, but only realistic limitations need to be accepted. Everything has a cause including events and situations that cause you pain and suffering. Life can be worth living even with painful events in it. Why accept reality? Number one, rejecting reality does not change reality. Oh, brother. Number two, changing reality requires first accepting reality. Number three, pain can't be avoided. It is nature's way of signaling that something is wrong. Four, Rejecting reality turns pain into suffering. Put another way, suffering is pain without acceptance. Five, refusing to accept reality can keep you stuck in unhappiness, bitterness, anger, sadness, shame, and other painful emotions. Six, acceptance may lead to sadness, but deep calmness usually follows. 
And seven, the path out of hell is through misery. By refusing to accept the misery that is part of climbing out of hell, you fall back into hell. And there are funny Super Bowl commercials playing above my head. Okay. Changing reality requires first accepting reality. There's an analogy that I like to use. Imagine a situation where I call you up and say, hey, how do I get to your house? What's the first thing you ask me? If you're Google Maps, the first thing you're going to ask me is to turn on my location finder thingy so that it knows where I am. If you're just a regular human, your first question is probably going to be, where are you? Because directions to anywhere requires first knowing where I am currently. Even if I really don't want to be here, if I'm calling you up and saying I am lost, I am in a very dark, poorly lit, wooded area. I really don't want to be here right now. I'm scared. How do I get to your house? If you say, okay, great, where are you? I'm like, no, that's not important. I need to get out of here. I hate it here. And you would say, okay, great. And where are you? What is your address? What street are you on? I'm like, I don't want to be on this street anymore. Okay, great. And that's where you are right now. So can you give me your street name? And then I can give you directions on how to get to my house. It feels a little more obvious when it is physical geographic locations. Like that lack of acceptance of, I don't want to be here. You have to get me out of here. I do that all the time. Like for personal stuff, for emotional stuff, for painful experiences, for unpleasant experiences. I don't want to have my traumaversaries. And like I mentioned in the last episode, I'm actually of two minds about it because on the one hand, thinking mind is the one that says, hey, we're done. We're good. We've healed. Move on. Do we have to keep doing this every fucking year? And emotion mind is like, yeah, we actually have to talk about these every year because these things that happened really impacted my life. And that's important to me. And fuck you. I'm going to self-harm to show you how important they are to me. It's the wise mind that says, Hey, yeah, clearly they are really important to us. And I think there are ways to acknowledge and validate how important these events were to us in a more effective way that is not self-harm, that is more effective in the long term rather than just having immediate gratification. So this (laughs) rejecting of reality, this annoyance that I have about fucking having trauma anniversaries and having this like low-grade rage for all of January, I've been rejecting that and suffering (laughs) because rejecting reality turns pain into suffering. I'm going to read some notes that I have. Um, These are not in the DBT manual. They're just notes that I took while I was in my skills group class. So what must be accepted? The facts. But what are facts, right? Facts are verbs. And the facts are things like how I feel, so what emotions I'm having, that I'm having a thought, i.e. my brain is doing something, that I'm having an urge, or that I'm having body sensations. And facts are also behaviors. And something to note about facts, our mind sees what it wants to see. We have search images. And that's a really useful tool, actually. Our brains should not be aware of every single detail of our environment all the time. It would be overstimulating. And when people have that experience, they're overstimulated and their experience of the world is painful. So it is good that our brains have search images 
And there's a drawback to that. Oftentimes, we ignore things that aren't in line with our search images. So it's important to be open to what is left out of what we see as fact. I could have an argument with my dad, for example, and tell you everything he said and forget that the very last thing he said was, huh, you're right. I never thought about it that way. And I will instead focus on everything that came before it because those are all the things that pissed me off and were consistent with, you know, what I expect our conversations to look like. So it's important for me to be open to what I leave out of what I see as fact to actually kind of broaden what my brain is taking in. Another thing to note, I can't change the past and I can't change the present. Given that the past is done and the present is done <laughs> like immediately, I need to accept the past and I need to accept the present because those are immutable. That is what happened and what is happening right this second. Acceptance is more effective than denying. It's more effective than righteous anger. It is not liking or loving something. It is not assumptions, which are beliefs that are not based in fact. Accepting something is not a prediction about the future. So things like, okay, what, do I have to accept that he's just going to always be this way? <laughs> no, I don't have to accept that anybody will always be a way because that's a prediction. And acceptance is also not judgments, which are our evaluations. Acceptance is a necessary skill for problem solving, however. Moving on now to Distress Tolerance Handout 11A, factors that interfere with radical acceptance. Radical acceptance is not approval, compassion, love, passivity, or against change. None of that is what acceptance is. Factors that interfere with acceptance include, one, you don't have the skills for acceptance. You don't know how to accept really painful events and facts. Two, you believe that if you accept a painful event, you are making light of it or are approving of the facts and that nothing will be done to change or prevent future painful events. We're going to come back to that one. Three, emotions get in the way. Unbearable sadness, which is really nearly unbearable sadness because there aren't emotions that we can feel that we can't tolerate. Anger at the person or group that caused the painful event, rage at the injustice of the world, overwhelming shame about who you are, guilt about your own behavior. And I added as another factor that interferes with acceptance, a lack of real understanding of what I'm accepting. That one gets in the way a lot. I also have the note written down here. When you're not able to accept something, you can accept that you're not able to accept it, which is very meta. But yes, clearly one of the things that has been getting in the way of me accepting my experience of my trauma anniversaries is item two here. You believe that if you accept a painful event, you are making light of it or are approving of the facts and that nothing will be done to change or prevent future painful events. Yes. So I definitely have that thought that accepting these trauma anniversaries, accepting that my body reacts the way it does in January, accepting my strong self-harm urges in the past Januaries. Yeah. If I'm accepting 
that I've had trauma anniversaries and that I have a body experience around it every January, I have the thought that accepting that means I'm approving of it. And I'm like, great, this is exactly what I want to have happen. (laughs) And of course, the next part of that is, I believe that nothing will be done to change or prevent future painful events. I definitely have the thought that if I accept it, this will just be how my life goes forever. (laughs) And here's fucking fuck, fuck, fuck. Here's the annoying thing, okay? So I've actually tried this. Like, I've actually tried accepting things. And what's annoying is that the acceptance is the thing that has it change. It is so counterintuitive. I don't know if I actually have an entire episode where I talk about this, but I've alluded to it, that my mom for 11 years has just walked into my room without knocking, or she will knock and then not wait for me to say, come in, or she will talk to me through the door. All are things that I have repeatedly asked her not to do. And I have been judging her for 11 years for doing this. Like I've been annoyed and we keep having these conversations where I'm like, let me explain to you what my experience is. How are you not getting this? And of course, she's judging herself because she has the thought I should be able to get this, you know? So what all of this judgment did was it didn't have me accept this is what my mom does. My mom walks into my room. This is a thing she does. And if I accept that this is a thing she does, what would I do to enforce my boundary? And again, this is very different for children. I'm 38 years old. (laughs) It's certainly different when there's different power structures in place. But at any rate, it took me 11 years to accept that this is a behavior my mom does. She walks into my room. And if I accept that that is what she does, I would get a lock on my door. And that is what I did. And it took me 11 years to do that. And you know what? In the four months since I got the lock... I have not heard her turn my doorknob once. Hasn't happened. And this is one of those awful catch-22s that just makes my brain hurt of like, okay, once I got the lock, I no longer needed the lock. Like she hasn't tried to open my door. She hasn't come in. Well, then I have clearly all these judgments, right? I mean, could I have just told her I got a lock on my door and lied about it? Would that have been as effective? I don't know. But it's very confusing. Like I have a lot of cognitive dissonance over it. I'm like, how did that? Why is why is it working now? <laughs> but clearly, acceptance is the thing that has me be able to access effective behavior. Me judging my mom for 11 years didn't have her stop coming in my room, even though I really, really wanted it to. Like, I wanted my judgments to make her stop. I don't get how this works, like, on a physical level. Like, what is the mechanism? And here we are. So, like, the irony is going to be if I actually practice accepting that I have trauma anniversaries, that's going to be the thing that will have January's not be such a painful experience for me. That will be the thing that will have my self-harm urges go down. That will be the thing that will have me feel more emotionally regulated. That will be the thing that will have me actually access skills in the moment rather than judging 
why do I even need to use skills? I shouldn't be having this reaction in the first place, blah, 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 blah. It's a cluster. Like the whole thing is just a mind fuck. I don't understand it. And yet from personal experience, it's the thing that actually works as annoying as that is. So this brings us to practicing radical acceptance step-by-step. I've done this before for different things. I'm going to do it again, this time for trauma anniversaries. Specifically, I'm going to be doing it for that I've had in January. It's been, oh God, eight years, eight Januaries. For the last eight Januaries, I have had very strong self-harm urges and have relapsed or I've had strong self-harm urges and have not relapsed and gotten sick. This is what's fucking insane, right? Like, Clearly, the self-harm is doing something for me because, oh my God, like I'm actually looking at the calendar. The years that I did not self-harm in January, I got sick in February. I haven't gotten sick when I have self-harmed in January. I haven't gotten sick in February when I have self-harmed in January. So clearly, the self-harm is actually getting something out of my body. It's, it is doing something for me. <laughs> And I have eight years of data here, five years of self-harm relapses, three years of getting sick without self-harm relapses. This is so fucking crazy, right? Crazy is a judgment. Okay. Anyway, so what I'm accepting is that in January, regardless of whether I self-harm or not, I have strong urges to self-harm 100% of the Januaries since my PTSD symptoms started. And that I also have struggled with emotion regulation in the month of January, that I have a very kind of low-grade anger or rage. And I guess I can also accept that I have been judging it because I have been. That is what happened. I have judged my anniversaries. I have judged my body's reaction to my anniversaries. So again, what am I accepting here is that For the last eight years since my PTSD symptoms started, I've had very strong self-harm urges in January. I have either actually relapsed or gotten sick every year. I have a low-grade anger through the month of January, and I struggle with emotion regulation in the month of January, and I have been judging that struggle. Okay, so practicing radical acceptance step-by-step This is Distress Tolerance Handout 11B. The first step is to observe that you're questioning or fighting reality. It shouldn't be this way. Yes, clearly. I'm like, I shouldn't be having trauma anniversaries. Like, I shouldn't be having this experience every January. We've gotten over it. Move on. Two is remind yourself that the unpleasant reality is just as it is and cannot be changed. This is what happened. So yes, this is what happened. I've had very strong self-harm urges every January since 2015. I have either relapsed or gotten sick every January since 2015. I have had very strong anger every January since 2015. I have struggled with emotion regulation every January since 2015. And I have been judging myself for all of those reactions. I don't know if I've been judging myself every year, but certainly the last several years. Step three is the kicker here. Remind yourself that there are causes for the reality. Acknowledge that some sort of history led up to this very moment. Consider how people's lives have been shaped by a series of factors. 
Notice that given these causal factors and how history led up to this moment, this reality had to occur just this way. This is how things happened. This one I struggle with for these anniversaries because I think this is one of my my coping mechanisms. I want to understand. I want to understand the mechanism by which a thing happens. I think it gives me the illusion of control. Like if I can understand the mechanism, I can change it somehow. And I've been kind of manic and maybe not not manic, but um, grasping, um, attached, if you will, to understanding why anniversaries happen. Like what is the mechanism? What is the trigger? And I was having a conversation with my sister the other day, hi Ruth. And she was postulating that there are actual triggers, like there were things that happen because I know that New Year's is a hard one. New Year's is like a big neon sign exploding in the sky, in fact, that's like, hey, it's now January. (laughs) Looking at the calendar, it is actually the only first day of a month, at least in the Western um, calendar that has like a very marked start we have a fireworks display when it becomes january fuck me hard like that sucks so people talking about new years people making plans for new years that can be a thing and then of course i'm aware that people starting to talk about the playoffs for football and then the super bowl because the first adult rape that I experienced happened in the city the Super Bowl was going to be played in a week before the Super Bowl was played. So my memory of being in that city involved a lot of signage and events and traffic and stuff because people were making the trip to go to the Super Bowl there. So these things are triggering something. And even if I'm not conscious of it, even if I'm not aware in the moment There's something that's happening when people start talking about New Year's and when people start talking about the Super Bowl, my body goes on high alert and is angry. (laughs) Like I have just kind of this low grade rage and I compare it to PMS, which I think does a disservice both to trauma anniversaries and to PMS. But for people who menstruate, if you've ever had that experience of just being in like a fucking shitty mood, and then the next day your period starts. And it's not all in our heads. Like There are actual hormones involved that are affecting our ability to regulate our emotions. It's a vulnerability factor, and it's real. And there is something happening in my body that is creating a vulnerability factor that makes it challenging for me to regulate my emotions in the month of January. I don't understand how it happens, and it happens. So getting back to practicing radical acceptance, remind yourself that there are causes for the reality. (sighs) Something else is coming to mind. For five years, I just had one anniversary in January. And then in 2017, I added three more. And then the following year, I was in court trying to get a restraining order for one of them because they were harassing me. I had also reported another one. So there's a reason my body is like, January is dangerous for us. I'm still annoyed. I'm like, okay, great. Yes. But (sighs) there's other things where my body doesn't freak out where I'm like, this is actually an objectively unsafe situation, Joy, and your body is not freaking out right now. 
And my body will freak out in objectively safe situations. Like I still have like low-grade anxiety when I notice I'm the only woman at the gym, like in the weightlifting area. I'm aware of that. And I will notice myself have anxiety and be like, oh, I know what's going on here. And then I will look around and notice that there aren't any women. So it's like that thing of, you know how like the human body can, we can tell when somebody's looking at us, even if we're not looking at them, even if they're behind us. It's kind of the similar sixth sense sort of situation. Instead of seeing dead people, though, I see a lack of marginalized genders and my body freaks out a little bit. And so here's the practice then. I'm practicing accepting the experience my body is having, even when I don't understand that experience. (sighs) I am uncomfortable with that statement. I have judgments. I don't know, is it the patriarchy talking that like, if you can't explain it, it's not real? Like this adherence to logic and science, maybe? But even like, even science is more accepting than that. Like, I do think there is a like a patriarchal sort of uh, judgment around at least the emotional experience or the physical experience of marginalized genders. And I clearly have internalized that because I, I invalidate my own internal experience. (laughs) If I don't understand what's causing it, I'm like, okay, body, you're freaking the fuck out for no good reason. There is a good reason. Because remember, there are causes for the reality. Some sort of history led up to this very moment. All behavior is caused, which means like my internal experience is caused, even if I don't understand what's causing it. So I'm going to say it again. I am practicing accepting that my internal experience has a cause, even if I don't understand it, even if I'm not aware of it, even if I don't know what it is, my internal experience has a cause and makes sense. That's, That's an extra little leap there. It makes sense. And getting back to the handout here, remind yourself that there are causes for the reality. Acknowledge that some sort of history led up to this very moment. Consider how people's lives have been shaped by a series of factors. Notice that given these causal factors and how history led up to this moment, this reality had to occur just this way. (sighs) So basically, in a nutshell, given all the dominoes that fell before, it was inevitable that the current domino fell. The problem is that some of those dominoes are invisible, to me at least. It's one of the lovely things about therapists and friends and family. It can be one of the lovely things is just having outside perspectives who can see things differently than I can. Like when my sister pointed out, like, Joy, we know what the triggers are for January. Like, why are you why are you confused as to what causes this? Like, we know your body is being triggered by very specific things like New Year's. And the Super Bowl. And we know why. (laughs) Oh, and the Women's March, too. Oh, lovely. We know why this happens. Because all of the trauma involved New Year's, the Women's March, and the Super Bowl. (laughs) Like, it's not rocket science. And clearly, I resist that that is the case. Because I'm like, I shouldn't be affected by this anymore. Let's move on to step four for a second here. Practice accepting with the whole self, mind, body, and spirit. B 
Be creative in finding ways to involve your whole self. Use accepting self-talk, but also consider using relaxation, mindfulness of your breath, half-smiling and willing hands, while thinking about what feels unacceptable. Prayer, going to a place that helps bring you to acceptance or imagery. I like willing hands. Willing hands is one of those things that, you know, you can do kind of anywhere. And I have a picture on my social media feed on Instagram of me doing willing hands. It looks like I'm holding two plates of food that are invisible (laughs) with my palms. Using relaxation and imagery and breathing, all of this stuff is basically training my body. Hey, we can think about this thing. We can accept this thing. And that might cause some arousal in my body. And I can recover from that arousal. I can regulate and come back to center, come back to groundedness, come back to regulation. So I'm practicing accepting that every January since 2015, I've had strong self-harm urges. And I'm breathing. I am practicing accepting that I have either self-harmed or gotten sick every January since 2015. Uh, I am practicing accepting that I have judged myself for my experience every January since 2015. And I am practicing accepting that my internal experience of January makes sense, even if I don't understand the mechanism. I'm sitting here with willing hands. I'm sitting cross-legged and my hands are palm up on each knee and I'm breathing. Like I can actually, I feel tension in my body right now. I think it's anxiety. Like I have the urge to like push everything away from me. Like push my microphone away, push my DBT manual away, push my laptop away and be like, fuck this, I'm out. Like I'm having that the desire to do that in my body. So looking at which of those statements is bringing that up. Certainly I'm practicing accepting that I've judged myself for it. (laughs) There's a part of me that's like, fuck you. Of course I judge myself for it. You think we like this shit? (laughs) Cause I'm having the thought that accepting it, i.e. not judging it means that I like it. That is not the same thing. That is what has happened. I have had this internal experience in January. I have judged my internal experience in January. And my judgments also make sense and come from somewhere. Like, I'm not going to judge my judgments. I'm going to accept my judgments. Like, yeah, I judged myself. I am currently judging myself right this second, actually. My body does not like acceptance. I am practicing accepting that my body is having a reaction to acceptance. And I'm purposely using the phrase, I'm practicing accepting, because right in this second, I don't accept any of this shit. (laughs) Like, 
So what am I doing? I don't accept it right this second. What am I doing? I'm practicing accepting it. Uh, Because I think, like with any sort of self-talk, the effective self-talk is the self-talk that I won't argue with, which is why a lot of affirmations and what are those like motivational posters or whatever, like a lot of that stuff doesn't work for me because my brain will argue with it. And the more my brain argues with it, the more entrenched I get in the problematic belief that I have. So rather than saying, I accept this and having my brain go, no, you don't, this is bullshit. I am saying instead, I am practicing accepting this because that is in fact what I am doing right now. I am practicing accepting. It's a practice of a skill. I am practicing accepting that my body feels tense right now. I'm actually having like weird kind of twitchiness in my face. Letting go of my jaw. I'm closing my eyes right now so I'm not distracted by what I'm seeing. And my eyes are twitching. It's so fucking trippy. I am practicing accepting that my body is very uncomfortable right now. I am practicing accepting that my body thinks it is in danger right now. I am practicing accepting that my body really doesn't want to do this right now. I hear you, body. And you're safe. Right now you're safe. And you don't feel like it. I am practicing accepting that I'm having the thought that acceptance is a threat. I'm having the thought that acceptance means it's that I'm okay with how it's gone. I'm having the thought that acceptance means that I'm okay with it continuing to go this way in the future. I am practicing accepting that I have those thoughts. I am practicing accepting that my body is trying to tell me something. I am practicing accepting that my body is trying to alert me to something that it thinks is wrong. I'm going to do some self-talk for a second here. I don't know that I've ever used that phrase actually before, self-talk. I'll give you three guesses as to what it means. It's how I talk to myself. I'm going to talk to myself here for a second. As though I were somebody on the outside, like one of my best friends. Hey, buddy, it makes total sense that you're freaking out. It makes total sense that you're having anxiety, that you have a tightness in your chest. It makes total sense that you're having the urge to run away. It makes total sense that you are experiencing this process as threatening, that you are having the thought that this is a threat. All of this makes sense and is caused by something. It comes from somewhere. And if I'm going to like get fully into this here. Like, of course, you would have the experience that accepting something is invalidating. This is the reaction of somebody who has been chronically invalidated your entire life. This is the experience of somebody who has been told it is not okay to have your emotional reaction. It makes sense that you would be both jailer and prisoner 
that you would both judge yourself for having the emotions and want to be like, fuck you, I'm going to have even more emotions. Because you have internalized those messages, those invalidations about your internal experience, about your emotions. You've internalized all of that. That's the jailer. And some small part of you knows it's bullshit. That's the prisoner who is trying to rise up and revolt and get out. That's the prisoner that says, fuck you, my emotions are real. Of course, I would be having all of this cognitive dissonance. I'm switching now to talking to myself as myself. Of course, I would be having all of this cognitive dissonance. Of course, I would be of two minds about it. That my thinking mind is what I use to invalidate my emotion mind. Of course, body, you are having this experience. Of course, I'm having this experience. Because what invalidation is, is a lack of acceptance. It's unacceptance. It's saying, my experience is unacceptable. It cannot be accepted. It must be changed. Oh, fuck. This is one of those weird moments where I'm like, oh, I see all the machinery running here. I can see how we got here. Like, my thinking mind is trying to keep me safe. The jailer is trying to keep me safe. Because the prisoner, (laughs) my emotions have gotten me in trouble. My emotions have gotten me punished. My emotions have gotten me separated from care that I need, want. Yeah, of course, my body is having all of these reactions. And it's a kind of, what, learned helplessness? That, of course, even when I open the jail cell door, my emotions are like, I don't trust you. I don't think it's safe out here. This is where I get judged. This is a lot. (laughs) I mean, like the analogy holds up and everything, and it feels gross because uh, like I'm a prison abolitionist, police abolitionist, and uh, like talking about myself in an analogous way, I'm having the thought that that's gross. Um, I'm also having the thought that using that analogy is a disservice to people who are actually incarcerated. (laughs) I'm like, Joy, stop comparing your experience to that. And I'm having the thought that it is, it can be a useful analogy. It certainly explains my experience of kind of feeling at war with myself. I'm going to do some box breathing now. There's a link in the description and it's up on the website. There's a video. Basically, inhaling for a given count, I'm going to start with eight, hold for eight, exhale for eight, hold for eight. And I'm going to do that a couple times because I'm feeling a lot of shit come up. More specifically, Joy, be specific. I am feeling a lot of anxiety come up. I am feeling a lot of resistance to continuing come up. I am having a lot of thoughts and judgments about this entire episode Everything I've just said, I'm having the thought that it's all bad, throw the whole thing out. Okay, let's do some breathing.
and that's the garbage disposal. Oh, it is weird. Like the process of holding your breath, it's kind of euphoric when I finally get to exhale it out again. I'm reminded of that game, you know, where you drive through a tunnel and you hold your breath. Well, I feel calmer. So moving on to item five here, practice opposite action. List all the behaviors you would do if you did accept the facts. Then act as if you've already accepted the facts. Engage in the behaviors that you would do if you really had accepted. So if I accepted that I have trauma anniversaries in January and that I have an emotional reaction, like an internal reaction to those trauma anniversaries, I would practice non-judgment around it. I would practice having compassion for myself. I would give myself permission to have the emotions that I have. I would communicate with my friends and family, people that I interact with closely, and just let them know that it's a tough time for me, and I will be doing my best to manage and regulate, and there may be times when that's really challenging. There's something about letting people know, hey, I might act out, (laughs) that somehow diffuses that. It's like taking the lid off of a pot. It just lets kind of the pressure out. I don't have to work so hard at kind of keeping things under wraps which means that I don't get a pressure buildup, which makes me less likely to have an eruption. It's all very trippy. I would also check in with my body, ask it what it needs. I actually think I kind of did a bang up job of doing that this year because that's why I read my poem that I had written about my first adult rape and self-harm and stuff. Like going back and reading through that, it was very cathartic, strangely enough. Like it was validating, I think to be reminded of what that experience was like going through it the first time, not with hindsight. So I went and found all of our original like Facebook messages and texts and emails that my first rapist and I had sent in the five years of our friendship that we had that preceded him raping me and basically told the story from that place. Of course, I can't get rid of my hindsight. I have it because I know how it ends. And I was trying to get into the head of the joy that didn't know that that was going to happen. And that was actually like some compassionate shit. And first off, reading it out loud felt really cathartic because it's a poem. So there was meter and rhyme to it. And that just feels nice in my body. Um, Where was I going with all of this? Oh, yeah, I was just like had kind of a lot of compassion for 2000, early 2012 joy and late 2011 joy of like, oh, that's how it happened. It actually felt, oddly enough, like practicing radical acceptance. Step three, remind yourself that there are causes for the reality. Acknowledge that some sort of history led up to this very moment. Consider how people's lives have been shaped by a series of factors. Notice that given these causal factors and how history led up to this moment, This reality had to occur just this way. Like, there's a reason it happened. There's a reason I went. There's a reason I didn't get out. All of this stuff, there's a cause for all of it. Yeah, it was just really validating. And if y'all want to hear it, like, I recorded myself reading it. If y'all want to hear it, let me know. If I hear from five people, how about that? I will share it if I hear from five people. You can message me on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Let's Therapize. Yeah, but I I read that poem because 
it felt like a way to honor my experience. And that was what my body was saying when I actually stopped judging myself and got curious. And I was like, okay, what do you need right now? I was like, we need to honor our experiences. And I'm like, okay, great. Let's find a way to do that. That's not self-harm. Let's validate what happened. Let's go back and look at the story and hold it gently. So yeah, so that would be another opposite action, which is one I already did. So go me. Let's see. Item six here is cope ahead with events that seem unacceptable. Imagine in your mind's eye believing what you don't want to accept. Rehearse in your mind what you would do if you accepted what seems unacceptable. So clearly the thing that I, at least right now, find unacceptable is that this is how Januarys are going to go. (laughs) Not wanting it to happen next year. And if I accepted that this is how Januarys go, how would I cope ahead for next January? Given that I am anticipating having strong self-harm urges, we'll probably get sick, um, we'll have a harder time emotionally regulating my anger, and we'll in all likelihood have a lot of judgments come up. So this is distinct from saying, okay, I'm doomed to have this happen, and is more looking at, given that this is a pattern that I've experienced so far, how will I handle this in the future? And I think, God, I'm really annoyed right now. I'm having the thought, I'm like, Joy, you actually handled it really well this year, which is probably why you got a cold that lasted, what, four days instead of like three weeks, (laughs) which is how it happened previously. And I'm kind of annoyed because I'm like, I... There's some part of me that doesn't want this to work. I get annoyed when skills work because I have the thought that if I use skills, they are in some way invalidating my experience. And like, I didn't realize this whole cold thing until literally yesterday, which is the first day I started to feel better. I'm like, oh, this is the cold you get, Joy. This is what happens when you don't self-harm. Something has to get out of your body somehow. Your body has to process it. And so I didn't have this whole like judgment about being sick because I wasn't really aware, shocking, I know, of the tie in here. I'm like, okay, what if instead of being annoyed, I were just grateful that my body is doing what it needs to take care of itself, even if that means, you know, sidelining me for a few days to get some r and <sighs> I don't like any of this. <laughs> Like I'm having the thought that all of this is somehow invalidating. Getting better is somehow invalidating. Being skillful is somehow invalidating. I'm having that thought. Item seven here is attend to body sensations as you think about what you need to accept. Number eight is allow disappointment, sadness, and grief to arise within you. <laughs> I'm, I'm present to annoyance right now. And I think there is some sadness there though. Sadness that this is how it's gone so far. Sadness that it's been such a struggle and that I've had so much suffering about it because I've been so, I've had so much judgment around how it's gone. Item nine is acknowledge that life can be worth living even when there is pain. Fine. Okay, fine. Yes. And all of this is useful and I'm having the thought that I'm annoyed, which is hilarious. It's like, Joy, you're really getting annoyed that you actually handled your anniversaries really effectively? <laughs> well, because I have the thought that if I handled it effectively this year, I should have been able to handle it effectively every year previous. So that brings up judgment again. 
And we've been over this already, that just because I have the skills now doesn't mean I had the skills before. There's a reason I didn't have them before. There's a reason that I judged myself the way I did. All of this is caused and comes from somewhere. And I have that internalized messaging. Is it 90s, early 2000s, the get your ass up off the couch, like push through your pain, just like keep on trucking? Like they're... It feels like a very decade-specific motivational Pinterest or Tumblr type thing. Maybe it's the 80s. Maybe it's like Muscle Beach of like you go and you lift even if you're tearing your muscles up and you have injuries, you do it anyway. There's some internalized messaging around like, if you could do it today, then why didn't you do it yesterday? Because there's a learning curve and readiness and willingness and a bunch of stuff. The toddler that I hang out with, he is probably at some point going to know how to read. And it doesn't make sense for me to judge him now as a two-year-old for not reading. Just because he will know how to read eventually doesn't mean he can read now. Like his brain is still (laughs) putting itself together and wiring and he's still learning things like all sorts of shit. So what there is to do is have compassion for my learning process and the factors that contributed to it taking the length that it took. And I want to have the judgment that it took a long time. Long, in this case, is a judgment. Because what is long? I'm like, okay, it took eight years because I've had my trauma anniversaries with PTSD symptoms for eight years. Well, on the geological timescale, eight years is a blink. Eight years is a fraction of a blink. But at any rate, like I know people who are in their 80s when they start doing self-work, like work on themselves. So the fact that I'm 38 and figuring this out now, I have judgment about it. I wish it had happened sooner so that I would not be suffering for as long. And I'm like, of course, that judgment is trying to keep me from feeling pain. It doesn't want me to continue to feel pain. Great. I hear you. And I've been talking for a long time now and I really need to go eat dinner. I know I kind of always rush through the last few steps. And the very, very last step here is do pros and cons if you find yourself resisting practicing acceptance. You can go take a look at the pros and cons episode, episode 15. I didn't do pros and cons around this, around accepting how my trauma anniversaries have gone. But I did do pros and cons around resisting self-harm. Yes, I don't, I'm not going to do pros and cons for this right now. But the reason I keep rushing through kind of the end of it is it usually takes a lot to get me through like the first four steps, especially the one reminding myself that there are causes for the reality. Like once I've done that, everything else kind of feels a little bit easier. And certainly attending to body sensations and allowing emotions to arise and acknowledging that life can be worth living even when there is pain. Like I'm kind of doing that as I go rather than waiting until the end. Anyway, I feel like I need to justify that. So I'm going to go now. I'm going to go and I'm going to eat dinner. Okay, I'm just going to end this super abrupt. This has been Let's Therapize That Shit with your host, me, Joy Gerhard. If you like what you heard, please rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends about it. I'll see you next time. Intro and outro music is Swan Lake Opus 20 by Tchaikovsky performed by the London Symphony Orchestra, conducted by Anatoly Fistulari, and released on LP by Richmond High Fidelity London Records in 1952.